So it's interesting how just a simple comment by somebody can lead your mind down the rabbit hole to thinking about an entire system of living. I say that because this podcast is inspired by a friend of mine, Chris, and it's really on the discrepancy in basic health knowledge, how bias is built into healthcare. I'll touch on the second part first, the bias built into healthcare. I was recently at the, my doctor's office and it was a new doctor that I hadn't seen before. And I was just going in for um, an antibiotic and I'm in there in the waiting room and then they call me in. The nurse checks my vitals and says the doctor will be right in. Okay, fine. The doctor comes in and I said, thank you for getting me in so early. And he said, you're welcome. And looked at my chart. I told him what I was there for. And he spun around in his chair and looked up me up and down and said, why are you in that wheelchair? Were you shot? And why some, while some people may, may think that, you know, it's just a question, who cares? It was more so the implication behind the question. Being a young black man with a lot of tattoos on my arms, he just assumed that I was in a chair because of, of a violent crime. That somehow... It was just necessary and, I don't know, expected that that would be the reason for my injury, for me needing a wheelchair. That was the first thing he said. And when I proceeded to tell him how the injury really happened, which was A, up north at a lake house cabin, and B, that it was me jumping off of the end of the boat dock and it just happened to be 36 inches of water. He was just dumbfounded when I told him that. That it had nothing to do with violence. It had nothing to do with drugs or crime or guns or any of the other stereotypes that people often feel and express about young black men. I was dumbfounded when he said it and I paused for a minute before I gave him the explanation and part of me wanted to keep going. Part of me wanted to say, and I have two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree from a major university and I have taught at elementary and collegiate levels and I have done X, Y, and Z. But then the other part of me said, no, fuck that. You don't have anything to prove to this guy. I don't need to prove my worth. I don't need to prove that he was bigoted in his statement. I don't need to prove that he obviously had a bias going in. I don't know. My wife didn't have the same calm reaction, surprisingly. Maybe not surprisingly, I don't know. But she wanted to go back up in there, for one. And, and, you know, she was like, see, 
he's lucky I didn't go back into the appointment with you because I would have gave him a peace of mind. And, you know, part of that reaction would have been justified because, you know, it sucks to be put in a box just because of your skin tone. Because had I been white with some tattoos on my arm in a wheelchair, he would have just stopped it as, how are you, or what happened for you to be in the wheelchair? He would have just left it at that, most likely. But that little bit of bias, and the fact that it took my mom years to get a proper diagnosis of what ended up be a bulging disc in her back after years of dismissal and being sent home and being you know doing all these different tests and them not finding anything you know it's it's one thing to think you know these doctors don't know what they're talking about it's another thing when you're acutely aware that 60% of black women get dismissed when they go to the doctor that their symptoms aren't taken seriously you know they're looked at as they don't know what they're talking about or they're faking or they're med seeking and they just see my mom over and over and over go into the hospital with severe pain and her body just going haywire and then getting dismissed is just one more example of the bias that's built in back to that story that inspired this whole thing was really over just the proper way in order that you're supposed to take care of your teeth just a few months ago, my wife and I read an article or heard a talk on oral care. And they were saying that you should first gargle, then brush your teeth, and then floss after. And she told me about it, and I was like, oh, well, I'll try that because I don't really like gargling last. And I gargled, you know, with our antiseptic mouthwash and then brushed my teeth right after. And my teeth felt so much better, so much cleaner. And then flossed afterwards. And when I said something to Chris, who's older and Irish American, AKA white, she paused for a second and said, that's the way she's always done it. And she said she was taught that when she was a kid. And it made me think that this is such a basic tenement of life. Proper oral care. But it can allude to such deadly situations. I mean, going to the dentist and, and having proper oral care can prevent real disease in your body. Sometimes things going on with your teeth or your gums can be some of the first signs to something building in your body. 
some preventable situation, but poor oral care can lead to death sometimes. And, I mean, it could even severely damage your childhood and your livelihood, having some type of oral infection that leads to something else. Or even affect your livelihood in the way that, you know, your teeth don't have the best appearance. People look at you different. It made me think, and me and my wife were having this conversation, that, you know, what did that do to her family legacy? And what did it do to mine and hers? My wife, I mean. Chris, being white, was raised with this knowledge. So how far ahead did that put her family's legacy? You know, what oral problems, what diseases, what hardships, what discrimination did they avoid because of proper oral care? What were the ramifications over the decades? You know, when information like this isn't given to a certain community, you have to ask yourself why. And what are the ramifications of it? Simple knowledge like this about how to take care of your teeth is an odd thing to not be a universal knowledge. Because it's not like my wife and I and our kids don't go to the dentist. We for sure do. But why did no, no dentist ever told us that this was the proper order? Not one. That's weird. If nothing else, it's weird and it's worth thinking about. It turns out there's discrepancies and bias all over the place. You know, the same people that were upset that I was an assumed gang member by my doctor just recently are the same people that will see a young black man who's not me, you know, make a weird U-turn or back into a parking space. And they're looking at him suspiciously just because he's black. Because let that be a young white kid or an old white man or a white anything. Then, you know, he's given the benefit of the doubt. No one pays him any mind. But just by being black, he's looked at with suspicion by the same people. The bias exists everywhere, and it's it's a weird thing to live with, and it's an even weirder thing to convey sometimes to people who just don't get it. Like my skin tone, my color has been a factor of my life, my entire life. Even my older brother, when he was born, because there was only one other black child in the hospital born that day, 
or that week maybe that they mistook my brother being of being his mulatto self for not my mother's child and they tried to replace my brother with a little black girl and seeing how it was a c-section and my parents were there and my mother was conscious she knew that she had a son obviously but i mean that was decades ago in a small town in a rural part of the midwest but i'm talking about two weeks ago in 2020 and it's still there it's things like this that you know i wonder from time to time what else don't i know and not just that what else can i teach my kids now so that they can avoid the problems that my generation had to deal with in the generations before me. My wife and I are constantly talking to our kids about checking and savings and stocks and investing and having your money work for you. These are things that we both learned in, well, me in my 20s, her in her 30s. And we're really just finally able to do something about it now. But to get my kids, give them that head start that so many non-black families have been given their children for generations. I won't go as far as trying to say that it's leveling the playing field because I don't believe that my life or my children or my wife or you know that their life is in competition with someone else i think competition is the wrong way to think creation is a better way to think with that said though you have to think you know where you begin as opposed to where you want to go and what is that gap to start off with for some people, you know, that don't have to deal with racial bias or systemic racism or just people not giving you the benefit of the doubt because of your color, that gap is a lot shorter. That doesn't mean it's not doable. It just means you'll have to be a little bit tougher. You know, have a little bit more faith. And maybe that's why the church that I went to in Norfolk, Virginia, Christian Life Center was so exuberant because it was full of black people who had had generations suffer, like for real suffer this system that we call the United States. And so, like my mentors say, and like the great Wallace Waddles, you know, you... <laughs> which he got it from jesus but you can't think based on your circumstances you can't believe based on what you see faith is you know the evidence of things hoped for the substance of the things not seen yet faith is saying i trust god even though 
I trust God even though. Even though I'm going to die before I see the mountaintop. Even though my family is enslaved. Even though my children are suffering discrimination. Even though people are being murdered in the street and we have to still say that our lives matter. Your faith is is made manifest in those moments. Your praise is more it's more powerful. They say heaven is filled with the sweet smell of incense. And those incense are constantly burning because they're the praises and the prayers on the lips of men who believe. Men and women, obviously. Maybe that's why every black person that I know is faithful, faith-filled, knows God, trusts God, calls on Him, thanks Him. Because we can't base our value and our power and our ability and our hopes and our dreams on the circumstances around us because far too often they're <laughs> far too often it's like a gun pointed in your face these biases these challenges that I've had to face and people like me have had to face are thankfully being exposed, being exposed, being accepted, being believed and being done away with. My nieces will never experience the discrimination and the anti-blackness that I've experienced, that my brothers experienced, that my mother and my aunts and my cousins and my grandparents and my uncles and my ancestors have experienced. My children, they don't see a reason at all to not be friends with someone based on the color of their skin. My God sister doesn't understand why people would do that. I love that. I love that because despite the circumstances around us, we know that the world is going to God that he is in control and that we are sons and daughters of him, he who believe. And like one of my mentors said, by the strength of my faith, my belief will make it so. And just because an oak tree grows slowly doesn't mean it's not growing. God is working behind the scenes all the time to bring about good. I'm thankful that I'm his instrument. 
I feel I feel fulfilled in that role. I've often looked to myself as someone who was willing, willing to put in the work, willing to not put myself first, willing to not have it easy and to be joyous and focused and persevere despite anything. It's interesting, though, the older I get, how much of the scripture plays out almost literally in my life. For instance, many of you, I'm sure, have heard, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You make me lie down in green pastures. <laughs> knowing that God is my refuge my strength like the scripture says my tall tower that no weapon formed against me shall prosper you know you, you read those verses and part of you wants them to be true part of you says okay you know at least okay but when you see it played out like no weapon formed against me or <laughs> anything coming against you and it not succeeding like being a quadriplegic and laying next to a window when a category 5 hurricane is barreling down on your city yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil in that situation I had to stay calm find the solution have the paramedics help me into my chair, barricade myself, and pray. And not pray out of worry, but pray out of thankfulness and trust. That, you know, I know you got me. <laughs> I know you got me. These circumstances say, oh shit, but I know you got me. Or next girlfriend running up on me in, in my office and saying, you know, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. Or breaking my neck in a severe accident. Or getting hit by a car in my wheelchair or getting T-boned going, you know, from a 50 mile an hour car when I was 15. Or getting viral meningitis when I was two weeks old. Like all these brushes with death. Or having respiratory failure like a year and a half ago. And not being able to get enough oxygen. Scripture is... For me, it, it's been like a, a user's manual. A guide letting me know what's true, and it's proven itself true over and over and over. If you don't know, the, the New Testament is often referred to as the good news or the gospel. 
the gospel is really just a Latin phrase, I believe, or maybe Greek for good news. So, especially in this time, goodness, where our circumstances are anything but good news. It's proven a literal godsend to keep me sane, to keep me focused, to keep me open. Open to wisdom from my wife. Open to, you know, not not suffering all the time. People that are close to me know that if I'm awake, my body hurts. If I'm awake, I'm in pain. And that pain varies from a 4 to an 11. But to do so with joy and perseverance and willingness. And also doing what my wife says and taking a break. Taking a break, doing something that I enjoy, something that I love, something that's fun. But always and always with the Lord Yeshua as my base. The one who can calm the storm and who's unaffected by it. Today my intention was to fully accept the peace that he offers. And just like always, he came through. This is my life at a weird angle.